Hello, this is Tom Williams, and you are listening to Talk Theater in Chicago's Interview Podcast. Every once in a while, I run into a performance that is just so stage-worthy and just so strong that I just had to get the person on the show. And and today's uh, interview is going to be with a tour de force performance by Timothy Edward Kane, who is dupe. Doing, playing the poet in an Iliad at Court Theater. Hello, Tim. Hello. Tell us about how you got involved with this this unique and major project. Uh, well, Charlie Newell, the director and artistic director at Court Theater, called me, uh, I'm pretty sure it was last February, maybe the end of January, last February, and said that he'd encountered this piece and uh, wanted me to take a look at it. Um, and so he sent me the script, and I read it and was, uh, quite shaken and moved by by the piece itself, and then also flattered and daunted by the opportunity he was presenting, um, and said that uh, he would like to direct it and Court would like to do it, but uh, uh, he did not want to do either of those things unless I was going to do it. And so um, I was flattered <laughs> at first, and then immediately the flattery uh, turned into te- just being terrified. <laughs> Um, which um, probably meant it indicated that just beyond my feelings for it, it meant I should probably try and tackle it. Anything that can be that scary can also be, you know, edifying and enriching in the long run. So, um, that, so, so it's been it's been since February that I that this has been stewing, and then we started rehearsals in earnest in October. And twice during the summer, Charlie and I talked on the phone once, and then got together and talked, and then we had a week of rehearsal and then took a week off and then came back and worked all the way through the show opening. So there's been a lot of talking and thinking and talking and thinking and talking and thinking. Yeah, so it's, so it's a combination of, of the challenge and uh, overcoming being terrified by yeah. one person. I'm such a fan of one-person theater. Uh, it's just I just am amazed that people can get through the material, much less you know make it a theatrical event like you did. Yeah, sometimes some, you do have to think about it surviving at, 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 at a certain stage in the process. Have you, ever, not, have you ever done a one-person show before? No, I haven't. This was my first. Okay. How did you approach it then? Uh, well, the, 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 the load in terms of lines and the responsibility of carrying a show all by yourself um, uh, were, were daunting. So I started, I, I wish, as probably anybody who would, maybe people more responsible than me, I wish I had started sooner. I started memorizing the lines uh, the very end of July, beginning of August. Um, after having, you know, been reading the Iliad up until then, uh, over and over, and then the, the original, excuse me, the Homer, um, and then started working on memorizing the lines for the adaptation. Then, um, and so by the time I got into rehearsal, uh, I was I was almost off book. There was one; it's, the play is divided into seven sections, and I still had the last section to go once we started. But in that week off, I was able to nail it down. But somewhere along the way, I think I don't know. It was not a conscious choice, but I think my nerves drove the better part of my mind into an area that said, just treat it like anything else. Just, it's just, it is, it is just a play. Let's just treat it like some, like any other play. So I did my homework and went into work and worked at work. And Charlie and I have a productive enough relationship that, uh, we kept the days short in order not to exhaust ourselves and our creative energy, I guess. <laughs> and, uh, we're able to remain productive every day. Some days were harder than others, but, um, generally there was at least one, a small step taken that made you feel that the time had been worth it and you 
we didn't lose a day or anything like that. So just trying to, for the most part, treat it like any other show. As, as well, let me add something here. But on your standard, any other show, uh, as a classically trained actor, is, is Shakespeare or shows like The Illusion or Rosencrantz right. and Gilbert. I mean, you're 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 at a at a level where treating it like any other show is is doing a tremendous uh, performance. <laughs> well, thank you, thank you very much, Tom. Yeah. So, all right. So, how do you? How do you approach? All right, you learn your lines, and and I'm I'm sure that Charlie had a lot to do with with the blocking to keep you moving and keep you fresh. How how do you move from from you know the speaking classical Greek to to playing all these other characters and and then having all these modern asides? You know the show is so complicated for a one person uh, show. You're not just there you know doing a bit or giving no, yeah. a uh, you know a, a soliloquy. Right. Uh, th- there were days when I lamented that I didn't have a scene partner. <laughs> um, in some of the harder scenes when between two characters, particularly there's a scene near the end between Priam and Achilles, which I really, I, I really wish I'd had another actor to play the scene with because it's hard enough to hold up one end of that, uh, one end of that scene. So, um, that, that was, the, that was the one that, that came the hardest. But in terms of just overall generally working, the play does, as you say, break down to the, almost three different layers. There's the there's the Homeric lay, um, level where the adaptate, adaptate, adaptation draws directly from the Robert Fagel translation, um, and then there is some dialogue written by the authors, and then there's these what what the playwrights call the riff. Dennis O'Hare and Lisa Peterson. Lisa Peterson would put a camera on Dennis O'Hare, and he would just kind of what they call riff. He would just kind of extemporaneously talk through the plot. And editorialize his own point of view, his poet's point of view, and then they would just transcribe those riffs. So those were actually kind of the hardest because they're they have a very specific energy and they're very conversational with lots of hesitations, repetitions, um, non sequiturs, and so that that was actually kind of the, the layer that kind of that trickles that moves the quickest. That was hardest to kind of to key into the the Homer and then the dialogue they wrote around the Homer was actually kind of the, the fundamental, funda, excuse me, fundamentally uh, easiest to approach. Yeah, I could see that. Uh, but but those aside, those comments, those modernizing of it uh, added a lot to the show. A little bit of humor, or changed the pace enough to yep. to keep it fresh. It's it was just brilliant. Yeah, it did that because otherwise you'd be kind of ringing. You you'd run the danger of ringing the same bell over and over again and. By by floating those in there, the laugh comes to lighten some a heavy stance, or just the, as you say, the pace picks up and draws you into another section more actively. Yeah, no, they it it works very well. It's a very tight adaptation, and I'm very proud and honored to be a part of it. Well, then there's another dimension that you usually don't see in a one person show, and that is the the terrific set, which we're still arguing about. I think it's a bomb shelter. Everyone thinks it's something different. But the the set, but the use of the sound and lighting mm-hmm. is just added such a depth to the, to the show that it, that that to me, you know, as much as I think you're an award category with your performance, I think the technical ends certainly need to be accounted for. Oh, absolutely! It was one of the most remarkable collaborations that I that I've ever been a part of. Um, when Charlie and I talked. Um, uh, back in February and then later in the summer about, you know, what kind of design elements were we thinking and how involved would I like to be? And I, you know, I don't like to wade into areas I don't know too much about, but he said, oh, there's some people 
that you would feel good about working with. And I mentioned some people, and he was able to get all, all of them, and he had his own ideas too. And don't take full credit for it, but I, I'd never worked with Todd Rosenthal, who dis, who designed the set. Um, I'd worked with Andre before, and I'd worked with Keith Parham, the lighting designer, and I'd worked with Rachel Healy, the, the costume designer, before. But uh, so Charlie and I and stage management were alone in the rehearsal room, but then production meetings would often come at the end of rehearsal so we could also all chat and ask questions of each other, and they would come to run-throughs frequently. And then when we move into the space, there was a whole other level of collaboration. Because it was just the six of us, um, we were all able to bounce ideas off each other, and one thing built on another, and then we realized that we'd gone too far in one direction because all of the designers were so sensitive to letting the story shine. They did not want to add anything that could be jarring, jarringly um, uh, inferred as a theatrical gesture of any kind. The, the piece is very theatrical. I mean, it is a piece of theater, but they were all very self-aware about, no, no, that looks too, that too, looks too strong. It looks too much like a play. It looks, Keith uh, Parham, the lighting designer in particular, yeah, Keith very, is really strong. Yeah. Oh, he's so strong. Yeah. He only wants to add enough to lift and add and support, never, you know, dominate something with a lighting gesture. And so they, and all the designers shared that same, that same aesthetic. They're only adding and supporting, um, to the extent that, uh, the story shines. How did you approach, uh, playing each of the characters? I know I, that's great actors can play a great character. But it takes the really great actors to be able to, on stage, play more than one character. It was a challenge because we didn't want it to turn into, you know, a. Uh, I don't mean I don't want to want to speak pejoratively of any other performance style, but there are there are certain. I mean, when I think back to high school speech, you know, when you're in like in a dramatic interpretation speech event where you have to split characters and you know you're kind of coached to have strong choices and make one character one way and one character another way. We did. We were we were looking to um, make this mo a more seamless uh, gesture in that regard. That you could have two talk, two characters talking to each other, but not have it be jarring or uh, certainly ever comical in the with, in the wrong in the wrong light. So that the story is still the thing that shines. So even while two characters are talking to each other, you differentiate between the two, but don't try and comment too much on them. So it was a matter of adding only just enough and never going too far. Yeah. Uh, did you rely a lot on uh, Charlie Newell to? Can you give me that bounce back? I know when you're in a rehearsal process with other actors, sometimes you can just tell this scene or this this presentation just didn't work, mm -hmm. uh, almost by looking at the other person. But when you're up there alone, yeah, it's got to be a lot tougher. Well, it was it was it was hard for that. But uh, the collaboration over the past ten years that Charlie and I have 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 grown to enjoy um i think there's a certain amount of trust that we always speak very frankly with each other about what we think is working what we don't think is working but more than anything charlie has taught me that i'm just going to go up there and do whatever i do and try and make as bold and as strong or perhaps even you know overly aggressive a choice and then it, he then helps me pare it down and focus and let me know how it works and how it doesn't work and i think that kind of collaboration he is he is constantly thinking about the overall aesthetic while I'm while I only think about the each moment that I'm in and then he brings it all together in a way that that I don't ever feel threatened, I don't ever feel, you know, browbeaten, I don't ever feel, you know, controlled. Um he's that 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 is his gift and that is that is that is his job to be able to stand back and watch it all objectively. But uh, I think you just described what a great director does. <laughs> well there you are then. <laughs> and Charlie <laughs> certainly fits that bill. Yes. Uh I, everyone 
when I told a bunch of people I was going to interview you for this podcast, they said, you've got to ask him about the rapid fire war list, <laughs> which by the way, I found a, a, a YouTube of you giving it. And I put it on uh, the bottom of my review uh, okay. on Chicago critics. So if, if folks want to see that, it is amazing. Yeah, it is quite a list. It was in, when Charlie sent me the script last year or earlier this year, I, that was the, when you came to it, I, in the manuscript that uh, it's five pages <laughs> and it's just well it's every war and you know i'm kind of a history buff and i looked up a few things i don't see anything you missed <laughs> <laughs> they are the, they are some of the, the most significant i'm sure the, the uh, our, our history is complex enough that i don't think they were able to get them all in or we would we'd be all be, be there all night did you but, ever count them uh no yeah i think the list in the play is 154 i think wow <laughs> and I mean, you you do it like a machine gun, rapid fire. Yeah, you almost don't get a breath in. I mean, you do. Oh, yeah, it is hard to breathe. Um, and I mean, I, I drilled. I mean, I learned as I was memorizing the script. I would I would work from, the the manuscript that I memorized from was I think fifty four pages or fifty six pages, and those are somewhere near the end. And I would you know I'd memorize four pages at the beginning, and before I'd put it down for that day, I would you know try and work on. 10, 10 wars. And so I memorized it that way. I'd work from the beginning of the play and then I'd jump to the list of wars. I'd work and jump to the list. So I've had the list actually longer than most of the play and have been working up to that pace where, I mean, it, just when I'm drilling them, when I'm driving down to the course, I can do them in like a minute and 40. I can do all of them like, it's, you know, wow. like, a, like a robot. So that way I can know that I can actually have an emotional experience and not lose my place in the list. That is so. You've learned. Uh, one of my questions on my list for you is, "What have you learned from this process?" It, it seems to me you you got to learn. One of the things you probably had to learn was how to cue yourself and keep. Right? Yeah, because you got nothing else to play off of. That's right. right. Yeah, yeah. That and yeah. So uh, that's. I think we discovered that in. Well, the list I learned geographically. So I go through a world map in my head. So that's how I find. That's how I keep my place there. I that the list is chronological, so I know that, and then I follow. I leap all over the world in my head, um, and then. But overall, that we learned in rehearsal that it was most productive. We did early on break it up into the seven sections to rehearse it, but once we got past like week two and a half, somewhere around there, into the third week, we were only running it. So I felt like, and Charlie uh, echoed this, that it was most productive to think of it as one whole and not as sections anymore. So that, um, I don't know that he had this thought, but certainly the, the cumulative result was is that I don't fear of losing my place any longer because I only think of it as one one long progression. Okay, what what about uh, the movement? It, it seemed to me that, which you do a lot of movement, there's a lot of running around and jumping mm-hmm. in. You're, so you're if you're physically active in the show. Uh, besides underscoring, you know where you're at in the story. Uh, does like going up the stairs to the top or down? Does that signal another part in your mind, or is there a connection to that? Well, as as the the set as Todd designed it, and you know, in, in collaborating with Charlie on the overall aesthetic, it the play certain parts of the stage mean different things geographically in terms of the story, in terms of how I'm trying to illustrate the poet is trying to illustrate it, whether it be the furthest downstage being the beach or the furthest upstage being the walls of Troy. Um, so just in terms of illustrating certain parts of the story, it, it's most effective to be trying to tell that part of the story from the vantage you want, or you're trying to, you're trying to illustrate. So just, to, just in that regard, there's no necessarily 
mnemonic connection, you know, where I'm standing for what I'm doing. It's only in terms of how how I'm standing can illustrate a better, uh, another facet of the story. Okay, let me ask you this. Is the poet Homer? Uh, yeah, well, you know what? I don't want to answer questions like that. Okay. <laughs> um, I, 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 he, he certainly has been around since the origin of the story, so people can draw their own conclusions from that. And, I, and that's one of the great things about this piece is because, uh, I didn't realize, I should have realized, but I never realized that, that, uh, Homer's story was told live like you gave it. Yes. For hundreds of years before there was any written text. Yeah, these amazing performers called Rhapsodes. We had this amazing PhD who actually did her her doctoral dissertation was is, is titled entitled she received her PhD from the University of Chicago. Uh, her dissertation is entitled One Man Show, and it's all about the performance of the Iliad as a one person performance done by these rhapsodes. And so, yeah, it, it was it was clearly a uh, heroic <laughs> endeavor. These, I mean, they became rock stars apparently. In history, I mean, they they would tour, and people knew them, and they knew how they told their stories versus someone else. And, and they modernized them. They put the things in that uh, O'Hare put in your script. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, editorialized to make it relevant to the audience they were to to whom they were performing. In fact, it, the, the ancient Greek it's written in is a hodgepodge of all the Hellenic societies. So, because each city state had its slightly different dialect, so the ancient Greek and the original Homer, no one spoke. It's this hodgepodge of every idiom and dialect of you know around the Aegean, so that it would it would be relevant to each to each culture. Aren't you glad you didn't have to do that? Oh God, yeah. <laughs> but how, let me ask you about the uh, the uh, you give some uh, some speeches in in classical Greek. Mm-hmm, yes. How was how did you approach that? Did... Uh, well, Dennis O'Hare and Lisa Peterson break it break some of it down phonetically, but then when we had oh now here I am, Kate. This PhD, whom we had, her first name is Kate, and her last name is escaping me, but a, a wonderfully engaged and so in, um, intoxicatingly um, and contagiously enthusiastic about the piece and its depth and its emotional content, not just from an academic, you know, point of view. I mean, she's very impassioned about it. Um, she's she can read it, and so she recorded um, all of those passages and a little bit more um, for me, so I could get a feel of it because. The way the vowels open up are different than, and it, this, this, these are hexameter verse, so the stress is different than my experience with uh, Shakespeare verse or Moliere verse. You know, it, it, it has a different meter and rhythm. It's very unique, let alone to the alien sounds that don't really have, uh, you know, an English equivalent. So I just, I was aping her until I figured out, you know, what I was saying. Wow. Um, what has been the audience reaction? Uh, it has been it has been varied, but it is it has been uh, responsive. I mean, the piece is so such a uh, I think a, a well constructed distillation of the story that it it doesn't uh, if if we're if I'm doing it the way I've rehearsed Charlie you know wanted us the the show to come out it doesn't it doesn't necessarily lag. So um, if we drive through with the intensity and passion that we want, that the audience is there to support it. Everyone has different responses. Um, some some audiences are more vocal than others, as as in all shows, and some are more enthusiastic, uh, you know, in their appreciation for it at the end, and some are just kind of emotionally, you know, uh, hit harder by it, and so their response is more sedate. But I think it's you know everyone's entitled to their response. Surely, uh, have you done any performances uh, during the day for uh, for the high schools? I know Court does that in some yeah. of the shows. Uh, I just did one on Tuesday. 
and um, they were a younger they were a younger group. So, and I don't I don't I didn't stay for the post show discussion, so I don't know exactly um, their connection with with the original Iliad if they had studied it or read any of it. But um, some of those I think they appreciated some of those contemporary um, riffs, but I think were also kind of taken out by you know then more juxtaposition against the more grown up themes of of loss and risk and our responsibility to each other as human beings. I think they fa- they found the lighter elements or the violent elements more uh, more appealing. <laughs> but my guess is years from now they'll they'll still look back to it and say, "Wow." Well, you know, those who are interested in theater, you you've really set the bar for them to say, <laughs> to hope, say "Is it possible for to do that?" Or or you know, a young motivated actor say, "I want to be as good as that guy up there." I, I, one one can hope that has some some kind of impression similar to that. So, in general, though, what are, what are you hoping audiences will take from the show? Oh, I don't know. I I I don't I don't. I'm not trying to dodge the question, Tom. Okay. But I I often don't like to think about that necessarily. You know, I okay. the, thematically the piece works on so many levels that uh, I try and hit the ones that are personal. That, that connect me to the piece personally, and then its overall resonance is will will sound for for each individual person. But I think certainly its relation to uh, a country, you know, living in a world in which war is, we see it on the news or read about it online every day in the newspaper. I think that is an obvious theme that we can draw all kinds of parallels to in terms of responsibility to each other, whether or not pacifism is you know, is realistic, is pragmatic, or if we need to accept a certain part of war and the responsibility with recovering from war um, and educating each new generation to uh, to its responsibilities for the following one as opposed to only thinking of themselves. I, 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 don't, I don't know, but I think it also it distills the story of Homer and Achilles to a very personal level. Yes, it where does. Where we can also identify what it's like to lose a father or a son, um, whether it be to war or cancer or, you know, a car accident. I mean, the, the, these themes of loss and redemption are, um, are, are, are can be... Comes know, across yeah. very strong. Yeah. What have you learned as an artist from doing this show? Uh, well, I, I, it, 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 it's... Well, certainly, I think to face something this large... Um, the only way to do it was to give up any arrogance <laughs> because to, to humble yourself before the challenge. Um, and then also once, once you address it and we, you know, we still have a healthy couple weeks here to go. So I'm not looking in the rear view mirror entirely with any great perspective, but, um, I think I will be less daunted generally <laughs> about yeah, each, each role I approach next, having, having tackled something so large and so heavy. Yeah, I, I can see that. Uh, how do you mentally and physically prepare when you're doing seven or eight shows a week and on weekends you're doing you're doing this twice yeah how do you how do you keep it fresh uh well again you know we we coming up to opening we only had you know eight nine previews so i haven't i just haven't done it that long yet i i mean i don't know how someone i don't i don't know exactly what the run in new york will be for mr o'hare and mr spinella who will who will share it I don't know how long their run will be. I hope it will be long and successful, but it'd be interesting for anybody who has to do this for more than a month or two, because um, it is so demanding. But uh, I am I'm blessed to have um, the golden parachute of my wife, <laughs> who um, lets me sleep in in the morning, so I'm able well, to. That, by the way, that's way. that's Kate Fry, who yes. is who is one of our one of our great leading ladies. 
and and the great mother of my sons. And so, as when they when they wake up, no matter what, I mean, they they are oh, yeah. fine. Um, but they're they're up by you know six thirty or seven o'clock every morning. So, um, she always takes that you know that the morning gets them ready for school and all the rest of that stuff. And I I roll out of bed and get a little bit extra sleep. But then I also get to work early. Um, each, each night before the show and do uh, a half hour. I, well, I live in Evanston, so the drive down to court is about 40 minutes. So I warm up vocally the whole way down there, and then I get there a half an hour before half hour and warm up physically for a whole half hour. And then I have the half hour to get in a costume and focus um, for right before the show. Well, this is one of the great performances. And, folks, you got to get down the court theater and see this. Uh, I also said the one part of my review that every actor in Chicago needs to see the show to see what kind of skills it takes to do a tour de force performance, as you have done. Thank you, Tom. That is very kind of you. Well, it's it's and it's true. Any chance of the of this show is uh, going to be remounted or toured or anything like that? Uh, well, I I th- th- those are questions for people more important than me. <laughs> I I, I, Steve Albert, the uh, the managing director or executive director at Court, and Charlie Newell have a relationship now with Lisa Peterson and Dennis O'Hare. I think Dennis and Lisa would like to reserve the rights for larger markets, you know, for for themselves, uh, whether it be Los Angeles or outside of because I mean they'll be in New York, but so I think that'll all be between those those folks to decide and and then based on my availability we'll we'll see if there's any I I don't know. I don't yeah. know is the short answer. Well, I'll tell you it would be a great show to to tour to the colleges. Yeah, it, it would certainly have a resonance. Yeah, yeah, wouldn't it? I mean, for on many levels. Yeah. Well, let's talk a little about your your career and your background. What what prepares somebody over the years to be able to do a role like this? Uh, you're uh, you're a classically trained. Uh, I call you Shakespearean or classical actor. Is that accurate? Well, that's that's where the jobs that pay have come most often. <laughs> <laughs> I like to do all of it, but uh, uh, the city is blessed to have theaters that. Uh, uh, these larger not-for-profit theaters that have that that certainly skew towards the classics, and that, that I've been lucky enough to work at, at at those theaters that that produce that work, and I do enjoy the work. I mean, there's a reason it's that it is classical. It has been around for a while because the roles um, and plays can be plumbed over and over and never find their depth. So, what are some of those that you like that uh, you're proudest of, like some of the Shakespeare's you've done? Uh, well. Uh, there's been a there's been a couple. Uh, I did uh, Hamlet at Court with Charlie and Guy Atkins. That was mm-hmm. my first with Charlie, um, and then I did. Um, let's see, there was King John. I did at uh, Chicago Shakespeare, which I got to play the bastard. And I'm not sure how good I was in it, but I learned a lot. It was one of those roles where I loved the role and I learned a lot. And you wish the run. I wish the run had gone on and on, just so I could just keep working on it. You know, it was one of those where I look back and I rue some of the choices I've made because as a more mature actor, I think, oh, what could I have done? Similar with, uh, I, I was a last minute replacement as Edgar in their production of Lear and just didn't feel like I had the time to really dig at it. But the work has, I mean, there's also been She Stoops to Conquer, a, a great, you know, yes. adaptation that Bill Brown did at Northlight. Yeah, but, you guys have showed your comic side. In, in, you know, in, in shows like that. Yeah, I, I love. I like to be funny. <laughs> you're, you're, I think you're a terrific comic. I think you should Thank do you. more of those. Well, you know, it's you know, it's it, Chicago is wonderful because it offers the variety to, to 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 try your hand. But even in Chicago, people ask you to do often the same thing, 
uh, that you know you did last time as opposed to the other thing that you might otherwise want to do and we have to be responsible and take the work that comes <laughs> sure uh i i particularly like your work in the illusion and rosencrantz and gilderstern with uh, sean Fortunato. those oh, are yeah. two real terrific uh, shows those are highlights absolutely in the in the, in the last three years the the chance to, to hit those two in particular have been uh, have been real highlights. How many shows have you done with Kate Fry? Not as many as I'd like. She is my favorite leading lady. Um, uh, well, we met doing a Shakespeare that is not always that popular, but I, in, but very challenging. And well, we we met at court through Guy, but um, we did we worked together for the first time in Love's Labor's Lost, which has very complicated and obtuse verse, and people say it's not his, it's not Shakespeare's, or it's incomplete and finished by someone else and it's a little lumpy but i think the play is great and i, I do too and I, I i remember seeing that you guys were awesome in that and uh we we did uh the miser at northlight a couple of years ago mm-hmm. and we did uh we did uh after she worked with brian bedford in the moliere comedies produced by chicago shakespeare here he offered her uh the chance to do uh school for school for school for scandal out at the mark taper forum in los angeles and uh, he threw me a bone so I could come too, and I got to play a small part in the ensemble. So I didn't actually. Oh, I, no, I was an understudy then, so I did get to go on and play opposite her in that as well. So those have been the big ones. What are some of the future roles that you'd like to play, and uh, maybe with Kate or or just by yourself? Oh, I don't. I I uh, well, in I I get to do Midsummer next again. It'll be the third time I do Midsummer with Gary Griffin at the pier. So I'm looking forward to that. Um, and then uh, beyond that in the future, I don't know. I don't know. I, 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 we were in New York this past spring while Kate was doing um, the remount of Minister's Wife at Lincoln Center. And I was able to see some plays in New York, and I haven't had the chance to do that in a while. And I, I fell in love with this play called, um, well, should I say this? People are gonna, I, I don't want anyone to steal it, but I, it's called Freud's Last Session. It's about uh, Sigmund Freud and a fictionalized account of, of Freud, Sigmund Freud a meeting with C.S. Lewis, and they talk about mortality and God and religion. And oh, I thought it, it was it was this beautiful. It's this beautiful, beautiful two-hander. And um, sounds like but, something for either court or writers' theater. Exactly, exactly. So, so if I'm, Charlie's listening, hint, hint. <laughs> I'm hopeful that someone will produce that. I'll get a chance to take a swing at that. But there's there's plenty in the canon. I mean, uh, in terms of of Shakespeare alone, that uh, I still haven't had a real shot at. So which I, one? It, which one comes to mind? Oh, I don't know. I mean, I, I'm, I'm reaching that point in my career where I'm, I'm looking back at things and thinking, oh, I might be a little too old now for Henry V, or I'm certainly too old for Romeo. But uh, th- those aren't, I mean, Henry V is one that I really kind of rue. Romeo, somebody, you know, there's plenty of guys that can do that. I don't mind. Um, but uh, I, uh, you know, I, you know, Richard III, Richard II. Ah, II. yes. Those guys sound yeah. pretty juicy and meaty. Yeah, they are. Well, Keep up the great work. And, folks, you got to get down to court theater to see what real acting is about and what real storytelling is about. It's, it's such a powerful piece. Tim, thanks for, for the great interview. Thank and, you for your interview. And, folks, go see a play this week.